radar just to reiterate February 6th is our first revival night in Seattle and uh, I hope you'll join us uh, for that evening space will be limited uh, but uh, we're planning on about a thousand for that night we're releasing all new merch that night we're officially releasing uh, my new book on the baptism of the Holy Spirit that night in Seattle and so we want you to be a part of that and uh, hope that you'll add that to your calendar we know that for a lot of you it makes a long day being here in the morning and there in the evening but it's a long day for us as well, and uh, we think it's worth it because what God is doing in Snohomish is too important just for it to stay in Snohomish, and uh, Seattle needs it. I don't know if you've ever driven through the Mad Max dystopian village of Seattle lately, but it needs something. It needs something, and so we're going to be there, and uh, we're going to hope that you join us uh, as well there at uh, Philadelphia Church, February 6th at 6 p.m., for a revival night uh, service. And then starting January 31st, which is a week from tomorrow, we're calling the church to pray here in the sanctuary from 6 a.m. To, to 7 a.m. I just believe that uh, where we are going in the faith, where we are going with God, is gonna require an extra level of prayer and consecration from his people. Uh, we got bigger battles than we're fighting ever, than we, we have ever before. But there is an all-sufficient grace that is inside of us. There is the hope of glory that takes residence within. And so we're just going to pray and believe that as we do, God is going to challenge and encourage and equip us for the days that are ahead. So if you're able to join us uh, on, on January 31st, uh, that week, Monday through Friday, we'll be here at 6 a.m. as we rally uh, the region for prayer. Hey, this morning I'm going to share with you uh, a message out of uh, the book of Philippians uh, in chapter 3. Uh, Philippians is one of my f favorite books in the New Testament um, because it, it, it illustrates Paul's heart and concern as a true father in the faith for a church that he helps pioneer, which is actually the first church on the European continent in the city of Philippi. And while Paul is under his first Roman imprisonment, he's got some time on his hands. And so he writes a letter to the church in the city of Philippi to encourage them in a few ways. In fact, there's two primary purposes for the letter. The first is he's thanking the church for their generosity because they've helped fund his missionary journeys. The second purpose for the letter to the church in Philippi is to warn them against false teaching. And the false teaching was coming from two different directions. It was coming from the Judaizers which was a group of Jews who got born again, but they were still trying to convince those around them that the way to be made righteous was by following the Levitical law. And if you could be made righteous by the law, then there wouldn't have been a need for a New Testament. The law couldn't make you righteous. It could tell you you were messed up, but it actually had no power to make you righteous until Christ showed up and applied his blood to the mercy seat, and in doing so, declared you to be righteous. We call that justification. And so Paul is writing the church in Philippi, and he's saying, let me warn you that there's some amongst your camp who, although they've been born again, they still got a religious mind, thinking that you can be made right or made holy by the old covenant, which is actually a covenant of death, not a covenant of life. He also says, be warned of this other group of fancy philosophers we call them Gnostics. They claim to have secret knowledge. They, they claim to have really convincing philosophy. They claim to have really eloquent political speeches. They claim to be experts in sociology and psychology. Be careful of them. 
that they would somehow seduce you away from the simplicity of the gospel. Be warned. I want you to know that, in fact, a majority of Paul's letters to churches in the New Testament include in them warnings connected to false teachers. Hear me. There is a reason I go after false teaching. There is a reason we go after corrupt philosophies, bad ideas, and wrong theology because it's actually the pattern of apostolic ministry. No one tries to counterfeit $1 bills. It's always the stuff that is of high value. So we do well to defend the value of scripture and the sacredness of church. It's not just that good ideas need to be communicated. Bad ideas need to be confronted. And the church has a responsibility to uphold truth. And the fact that we are taking flack actually tells me I'm right over the target. Watch what Paul says in Philippians 3, starting in verse 1. He said, furthermore, my brothers and sisters, watch, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. Why? Because it is a safeguard for you. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. It is us who serve God through Christ Jesus by his spirit. We put no confidence in the flesh. Let me give you a list of things this morning that I have no confidence in. A news broadcast from North Korea. A Nigerian prince who needs my help. A discount medical procedure from a doctor you found on Craigslist. A free mattress on the side of the road. Gas station sushi. Dollar store birth control. A bald barber. A skinny chef. A vegetarian butcher, vegan anything, a three-hour elementary school concert, social security, border security, airport security, even eternal security. Here's what Paul says. I've got no confidence, watch, in the flesh. Now, if you were reading this letter while sitting in the church in Philippi, you would be reading it in the language it was written. Greek. And the word confidence in that language translated to this word, pytho. Pytho, watch, was the Greek goddess of persuasion and seduction. When Paul is writing the church in Philippi, he's saying, be warned of this principality and power. Be careful of this demonic entity. You know, 2,000 years removed from this story, we look at things like this and we just go, it's just an abstract drawing. It's just Greek art. It was just Greek mythology. But you've got to remember 2,000 years ago, it was religion to these people. And so when Paul is going after territorial spirits, principalities and powers, demonic strongholds, when he's binding the strong man in the region, it's not just, you know, a Marvel movie. No, he's addressing a source of influence and power in the culture. And he's saying, watch church, I'm standing against it. Why? Because God puts his spirit in you, not so that you negotiate with darkness, but so that you bind it and cast it out. 
Paul is standing against the influence of culture. He is standing against the pagan rulers of his day. He is standing against the principalities and powers that exalted themselves against God. He's writing the church in Philippi and saying, look down the street to the temples you've constructed to false idols and false altars. I've got no confidence in those things. Pytho was the goddess associated with, watch, sexual and political manipulation. Does that sound familiar? Paul wasn't just saying he doesn't trust his flesh. He was saying to witchcraft in this region that has tried to persuade me to place my faith and trust in anything less than Christ has not been successful. It will not stand. I will not bow. Why? For I have a higher persuasion. Watch. Watch what Paul says. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels, principalities, powers, nor things present, nor things to come, height, depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Watch what Paul says. I am not ashamed, for I know who I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. And I'm here to announce that this church has a higher persuasion. This church has a higher allegiance. This church has a higher calling. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Friend, the enemy should have taken you out when he had a chance. But now you got weapons. And they are not carnal, but they are mighty in battle for the pulling down of strongholds. And if there was ever a time to fight, it's now. You know, there's some spirits we deal with in this region. The one I just mentioned out of Philippians 3, Pytho, it tries to trouble your mind. In Acts 16, Luke tells us about another spirit. He calls it Python. It tries to silence your voice. Jesus tells us about another spirit in Revelation 2. He calls it Jezebel. Tries to usurp your authority. Just let me help you. Jezebel ain't a gender. It's a spirit. And watch what Jesus says in Revelation 2 to the angel of the church in Thyatira. I know your works. I know your love. I know your service and your faith and your patience. Nevertheless, I got a few things against you because you tolerate that spirit or that woman Jezebel to operate. A principality and power isn't bound because of your good works. It is rendered powerless because you confront it. But look at all the love and service and faith and patience we have in this community. Great! Here's what I have against you. You've allowed spirits to operate unchallenged in the region, and I'm holding you responsible. I know you did a lot of nice things. I know you ran a lot of nice programs. I know you put on some real nice services. But here's the problem. You never had the spiritual guts to do anything about the demonic spirits that are keeping people in bondage. Can I tell you, Fred, anytime I feel the social pressure to not talk about an issue, I consider it an invitation to confront a principality in the region. I can feel it around my neck. I can feel it around my voice. I can feel the anxiety when I open my mouth. You better not say anything. You better just stay quiet. 
We'll come after your family. We'll come after your health. We'll attack your church. But friend, this message is like a fire trapped in my bones. You're not crazy. The culture is crazy. And you got a prophetic responsibility to stay safe. And in a thousand years, when archaeologists dig up our civilization, they're going to find the idols that controlled this region as well. <laughs> Telling the truth to a culture built on lies is an act of spiritual warfare. I'm not sure who said it first, but it bears repeating. Men are not women. Women are not men. Animals are not children. Live-in boyfriends or girlfriends are not spouses. The internet is not the local church. Words are not guns. Feelings are not facts. Creatures are not the creator. Jesus is the answer. The gospel still has power. The blood still works. The Bible is still true. And the church is still advancing by force and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Fred, if you go fight a spiritual fight, you need to be equipped in a spiritual way. Watch what Jesus says in Matthew 22 and 29. Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken. For you know not the scriptures nor the power of God. In the Reformation, people returned to the word. In revival, people returned to the spirit. And we need both. You need the scriptures and the power because it functions as a one-two punch that breaks the heavy yoke of bondage. God is raising up a people who know the scriptures and have experienced the power. The pursuit is a place where the word and the spirit change lives. Can I tell you, you don't have to make a false choice. Sometimes people church shopping, trying to figure out a place where they can go, a place where they can raise their family, raise their kids, where they feel like they can trust the ministry. And they always feel like they got to make a choice. Is this going to be a word church? And by that, I mean, they preach the word, but the thing is so boring, you fall asleep. Or they say, is this a, like a spirit church, which means it's going to be really exciting and so weird, but there's no word. But who made us choose between the two? No, the pursuit's going to be a place where the word and the spirit change lives. Jesus confronts the religious leaders. He says, you know not the word. You think you do, but you don't. And you haven't experienced the power. But when people get the word and it's reinforced by signs, wonders, and miracles, their lives are marked for eternity. We don't have to make a false choice. In the kingdom of God, it's not either or, it's both and. No, we're anchored by the word. But the sails of our ship are blown by the spirit. Watch what Paul says. He says, I've got no confidence in the flesh. Hear me, friend. It's not that your flesh is evil. It's that the flesh unsubmitted will destroy you. It doesn't mean it can't ride in the car. It means it don't get to drive the car. And daily, you've got to decide who leads who. Which entity will submit to the other? Which reality do I want to pursue? Kind of like when an earthquake happens. Underneath the surface, you've got these tectonic plates that are moving. 
And every once in a while, an unstoppable force meets an unmovable object. Two tectonic plates collide, and it causes chaos on the surface. I think about that in the context of what it looks like to not just be filled with the Spirit, but to live in the Spirit and to walk in the Spirit. Is that daily I'm making a decision that the tectonic plate of the Spirit will ultimately rule the tectonic plate of the flesh. That when they crash, I've got a decision to make. Which will I allow to manifest both in my life and through my life? Now, I wish you could just make one decision at the altar and never deal with that old flesh again. But what I found is that I got to die daily. What I find is that I got to bring to the cross whatever this season requires. Sometimes I find that stuff I dealt with 10 years ago, every once in a while, the enemy try to sneak up on me and try to get me to go back to, to, to my sin like a dog returns to its vomit. And I just got to remind myself that's no, not who I was. It's not who I am. It's not who I'm going to be. It's not that I have to get born again every time I make a mistake. It means I've got to remind myself who I serve, what I'm submitted to, and what's leading what. <laughs> it's almost like some pastors act like if you give your life to Christ, you never get tempted again. Even Jesus was tempted. Temptation isn't sin. It's what you do with the temptation, what's it enter into your life. What's going to submit to what? And that's why scripture says if you fill it in the spirit, you gotta, you gotta walk in the spirit. If you're a spiritual person, you also have to have a spiritual mind for how can the carnal mind understand spiritual things? Now we're daily making these decisions. And that's why sanctification isn't instantaneous, it's progressive. Watch what Paul says, Romans 8, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Romans 8 and 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. Galatians 5, so I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5 and 24, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Matthew 16 and 24, then Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Galatians 2 and 20, for I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Spirit, in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 13 and 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Hear me, friend, the most persistent thing that you wrestle with in your life isn't demonic, it's fleshly. But it'll lead to spiritual bondage when it's not crucified. Hear me, how does a demonic foothold take hold in your life? when a fleshly foothold isn't first dealt with. No, you don't catch demons like somebody catches a cult. It's not something you can wear two or three masks to prevent. You ain't gonna walk through the mall one day and all of a sudden the spirit jumps on you like it does in a Hollywood movie and all of a sudden you're possessed. No, spiritual principalities and powers work through the principle of agreement. And here's what happens. Chains are too small to be felt until they're too large to be broken. 
And when you don't deal with the foothold that the flesh creates, pretty soon it creates room for all the spirits to come with it. And here's the reality. Sometimes we're asking God to cast out what he himself has invited us to crucify. Pastor, cast out my flesh. The problem is you fall over dead. No, we cast out spirits. No, we can handle that. But we got to crucify the flesh. It's interesting the language Jesus uses talking to his disciples because they're familiar with what a cross is. The cross was the most popular form of capital punishment in the Roman Empire. They did it because it was particularly gruesome, particularly embarrassing to the criminals who hung on those trees. They would often do it in the most public places so that all of their subjects would have to walk by and see what happens when somebody dare opposes the Roman government. And Jesus uses this imagery and tells his disciples, if you want to follow me, it's not just that you've got to get crucified in order to do so. You've got to pick up that cross, put it on your back, daily deny yourself, and follow me. Why? So that whenever you get into a new season and it demands new sacrifice, you're never more than one step away from the place of the cross. See, a Christianity removed from the cross is no Christianity at all. The cross is the foolishness to the world. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. God, I just want to know you in the power of your resurrection. But what about the fellowship of his sufferings? Because you don't get one without the other. When Paul is writing the church in Philippi, he's saying, look, you've got a spiritual responsibility to stand against the principalities and powers of this region. You also have an earthly responsibility to crucify your flesh. And both of them require a level of intentionality that nothing else in your life can produce. Man, if I could crucify your flesh for you, that'd be a lot more popular than I am. <laughs> but it's a daily decision you make. And it's a daily decision I make. And in doing so, it's the simple obedience, which not only changes history, but causes me to walk in freedom and to walk in liberty. Now hear me, friend. Let me say this, but, but let me be careful as I say this because I don't want you to get the wrong impression. I love counseling. I've been to counseling. I do counseling. I've got benefited from counseling. I love counseling. I love therapy. I love doctors. It's actually one of the agents that God uses in the healing process. The charismatic church, this church, faith church, is not opposed, nor will it ever be opposed, to the work of doctors, counselors, or therapists. Watch, watch. But there comes a time in your life where you have to make a decision. Will I crucify what's killing me in order to experience a resurrection that can heal me? Hear me, friend. It's easier to attach a diagnosis to an area of dysfunction to give ourselves an excuse for why we can't change. Some things won't live until other things first die. That's why Jesus says, unless the seed goes into the ground and first dies, it produces no good thing. And sometimes we use the false veneer of a diagnosis 
to be the reason why we don't interact with the developmental process. Well, I had a doctor tell me this, and I had a person tell me that, and I took an Enneagram test and it showed me this, and a spiritual gift test and it showed me that, and I self-diagnosed myself online through Google, and I figured out all of the reasons, like the rich young ruler, I've got all of the reasons why I can't follow Jesus the way scripture asked me to follow him. There comes a time in your life where you gotta decide. Edwin Friedman says it like this, the colossal misunderstanding of our time is that insight will work with people who are unmotivated to change. Well, I could give you Revelation 24-7. I could preach the best messages that you ever heard preached. We could host the best church services, the best worship sets that you've ever experienced. But no amount of knowledge or insight will do the deep work of development until you come into agreement with what God asks of every person who follows him. Unless a man denies himself. It's the opposite of culture's message. It's the opposite of promote yourself. It's the opposite of expose yourself. It's the, it's, it is the opposite of fulfill yourself through your own resume and through your own accolades. Deny yourself and follow me. Oh, it's not popular to preach, but it is as true today as it's ever been. And pick up that cross. No, never get too far from the cross. No, 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 never get too far removed from that place of sacrifice. Lest what begins in the spirit continues in the flesh. No, be careful. No, never lose sight of the cross. No, always keep the cross in your purview. It's always got a seat in your car. It's always got a place on your back. It's not just an abstract idea. It's not just a complicated theology. It's not just a once a year sermon on Easter. No, there is something intrinsic about believers saying, I have counted the cost. I have considered myself lost that I would gain him. I'm gonna take my cross and follow Jesus. Watch. Culture can't cancel what's already dead. Culture can't kill what's already dead. Compliments and critiques can't kill what's already dead. No, I have lost my life in order to save it. I have given up my life in order to discover it. I have lost myself in the identity of a God who is more worthy than we could ever imagine. I have counted the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. Now I've got a cross on my back. I'm taking it up and, and I'm following him, the king and, and the commander, the author and the finisher, the alpha and the omega, the true and the faithful witness. I'm following him. Isn't it interesting? The things that people think in our culture are the silver bullets to kill the church. Like if we could just be real nasty to them, they'll quit. If we could just protest outside their building, they'd stop. If we just make a mean video about them on YouTube, they'll shut up. No, I've learned to identify the spirit that's operating. And the weapons of my warfare are not carnal, but mighty in battle for the pulling down of strong. No, I've learned to identify what it is. I've learned to identify what it is. And here's the reality. When people come after you, when people attack you, when people try to take injury or aim at you, if you have considered yourself already dead for the sake and for the cause of Christ, then when they come at you, they're coming at him, and he'll do a lot better job defending you than just about anybody else. 
Don't let God defend you. Don't let every man be a liar, but let God be true. No, come on, let God arise and vanquish your enemies. Let the mountains melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. No, let God arise. Let him do it with the angel armies. You just stay hidden in his pavilion. You just stay inquiring in his temple. You just stay beholding his beauty and let God arise and do the dirty work. I picked up the cross. Friend, when you're not in community, it's because you put confidence in the flesh. When you're not in regular Christian fellowship, it's because you put confidence in the flesh. When you're not developing the discipline of daily worship, it's because you put confidence in the flesh. When you find yourself isolated and alone, it's because you put confidence in the flesh. When you find yourself consulting the culture before you consult the scriptures, it's because you've put confidence in the flesh. Where we are going, we need full faith and full trust in the finished work of Christ Jesus. Now listen, let me tell you something that I venture to believe you have probably never heard from a pastor in a church before where we are going in two weeks to the belly of the beast, to face Goliath in Seattle, that will engender a level of flack that you have never experienced in your life before. And if you need permission to leave, you've got it. But if you wanna stay, let's gear up for the fight of our lifetime. If you wanna stay, clothe yourself in the armor of God because we've got ground to take. If you wanna stay, prepare yourself for the insults and the persecution and the trials and the tribulation because where we are going is not safe, but it is good because we have a God who fights on our behalf. And what it will require is not only spiritual warfare, but a crucifixion of the flesh that wars against the spirit. And in doing so, God will give us victory in this region. Come on, we got a responsibility in this hour to not just allow what is happening in Snohomish to stay in Snohomish, but that God by His Spirit would do it across the region. Come on, Fred, let me pray for you. Father, now in the mighty name of Jesus, we ask that you would equip us in the innermost, that you would give us that armor of God which comes from on high, that you would renew our minds, strengthen our spirits, steady our feet, dial in our vision. God, I pray that you would give us the spiritual aptitude to stand against principalities and powers. You would also give us the mental acuity, the emotional intelligence, and the physical strength to crucify those things that war against what you want to do in and through our lives. God, we pray that by your spirit, we would take another step today in the direction of development. And then when we wake up tomorrow, we take another step in the direction of development. And that we wouldn't give up until we close our eyes here and open them up there. That God, we would stay submitted to the cross and in doing so see the power of your resurrection God we say do your best work in us do your best work in this church I declare over you Seattle give up your dead I say over you open up ancient doors I say over you open up ancient gates and let the king of glory come in I say ready or not region here we come 
I say, ready or not, reach and get prepared for the King of Glory to ride in. I say, ready or not, reach and give up your prodigal and your sick and your backslider and your pagan and your heathen. Give them up as a reward for the Lamb is worthy to receive the reward of His suffering. Give them up and open a door that no man can close. God, now strengthen us. Give us courage. I pray for a fresh baptism of courage to come on your life. A fresh baptism of boldness to come on your life. A fresh baptism of clarity to come against your life. I say no weapon formed against you will prosper. I say no foothold of the enemy will take root in your generations. I say the anointing of God which breaks the yoke of bondage comes on your life now to give you freedom and liberty. We come against addiction. We come against, we come against mental health disorders. We come against physical diagnosis. We come against sickness and disease. We come against the spirit of infirmity, the spirit of timidity, the spirit of cowardice, and I declare over you, you will be everything that God says you are, you will be nothing he says you are, and you will advance with his strength in this season. We say, God, now prepare us, prepare us, prepare us, prepare us. If you will be our God, we will be your people. Wherever you lead, we will follow. Listen, friend, count the cost. Listen, count the cost. Look at me, count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. No more casual Christianity. No more cowards hiding in the pews of dead churches. No more. If there has ever been a time for you to find your courage, it's now. If not us, then who? If not now, then when? This is the invitation of the ages. Give everything you have to Jesus allow him to settle every account of man. Allow him to guide you and lead you in the direction you should go. That you would never depart from it. Walk in the way everlasting. It is the narrow road that leads to salvation. Give everything you have to Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, friend, if you're here today and you need prayer before you leave, we'd love to partner with you in faith you're feeling like you got bondage, addiction, heaviness in your life, come on, we want to add our faith to yours to see God give you breakthrough. If that's you, come forward. Let's pray together. If not, God bless. Man, thanks so much for joining us for church, and we're going to see you real soon. Why don't you invite a friend next week? Come on, let's build the house of God together. God bless. We'll see you real soon.